Yeah, it's 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 tricky, you know, and I I've never been one to pressure anyone, you know. It's kind of something that anybody should anyone has the right to figure out themselves. Mm, yeah, you have the right to figure out yourself. Whatever, man. Go with the flow, dude. Your religion can be Satanism, my religion's Jesus. It's the same difference, right? You like sacrificing babies to the Lord of Darkness and I like saving them from abortion clinics and it's the same thing, right? <laughs> everybody welcome once again to the reactionary christian where we react against anti-christianity and the general insanity of our times i am your host gabriel finocchio and we've got a great show for you today we have a lot of content to talk about a lot of content to react to and um yeah this is going to be well i think we're on our third episode we're on our third episode, so, but it already feels like episode 3000 for me, um, no, and probably episode 300,000 for you, but I've had a lot of fun so far, you know, so good. I, I'm really enjoying this. I, I didn't think I would like this as much as I do this format. Um, although, you know, from the beginning I was kind of like, no, this is, this is kind of what I want to do. If I'm doing a podcast, I want to be, I want to be reacting to stuff. And uh, because I'm a reactionary Christian. Are you a reactionary Christian? I hope you're becoming one. I hope this show is slowly winning you over to the dark side. The dark side. Um, no, I, I hope you are learning some stuff and you're enjoying some stuff and you're just, you know, because I, I regard myself as a probably a comedian first and then a Bible teacher. And then a reactionary Christian. Um, and so, <laughs> so anyway, no, um, we're going to have a lot of fun today. So without further ado, let's get into uh, our first subject matter. Um, you know, some people like have wondered where I get this stuff from. Uh, really, honestly, this is because I have a company online <clears throat> called Theos University and it's amazing and if you don't if you aren't subscribed to Theos University subscribe to Theos University this is my first you know commercial infomercial for Theos University uh, there will be many more but um, I have a company called Theos University and I'm on Instagram a lot I'm online a lot because of because of the fact that the the company is an online company and so I see content all the time accidentally like you have to understand i don't go looking for this content <laughs> i'm not you know somebody somebody called me a heresy hunter uh the other day and i actually kind of like that heresy hunter podcast i mean maybe we can rebrand um but <laughs> but like i like i actually kind of like the heresy hunter thing um it's it's fun it's it's probably much more fun than heretic hunting i think heretic hunting would probably be uh, the stuff where, you know, they track the person down and then they, um, you know, get all the kindling and uh, light it on fire and then the person burns to death. Um, that's more John Calvin's gig. You know, uh, I'm I'm not. And since I'm not a Calvinist, I don't really do that. But. Um, but anyway, you know, 
I accidentally come across this content. It's not like I'm hunting for it. Um, but it's fascinating too, because the content that I accidentally come across is the content. There, there's so much garbage content that I accidentally come across. I'm wondering if the algorithm knows that I'm doing this show and it's just sending me content that it knows that I will disagree with. But anyway, not all of, as I've said before, not all of the content that I'm reacting to is going to be a negative reaction. Um, there's, there's going to be content that I react to that I really enjoy. And, um, so hopefully, um, you know, you know, hopefully you enjoy it. But the other thing is this, I'm reacting and I want you to react to your reaction doesn't have to be identical to mine. Although, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you the reasons for my reaction. So the reactionary Christian, it's not just this emotional visceral reaction, Although sometimes an emotional visceral reaction is a part of the reasoning behind um, why we would like or dislike something. For example, abortion, the idea of baby killing, the idea of, of murdering a child, that should draw a visceral reaction and a negative visceral reaction. And that visceral reaction should be part of the reason why you dislike abortion because of, of how, how gross and sickening it is. Um, but, but generally speaking, the reactions that, that I'm, that I'm going to have are there, they should be coming from a rational perspective. They're not just emotional reactions. And I feel like that's actually one of the things that I'm countering, uh, in our society is emotional reactions. Our society is so emotional and we need to be less emotional. We need to be much more rational than we are because, um, it's actually the emotional side of things that has us acting like beasts and brutes and animals and less like humans and less, less like people made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, it's the emotionalism of our society that is part of the, that is part of its main problem. And so what we need to be doing is thinking about everything. Uh, and, and, you know, if we're going to err, we're going to err on the, on the side of overthinking rather than uh, not thinking and, and allowing our emotions to take us away. So with that said, let's pull up uh, some content here. Um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff randomly. <laughs> there's no, there's no method or reason um, for what I'm doing here. And I also want you to be aware, be aware that I just finished uh, like some sort of sickness in my chest. I had a lot of chest congestion. So if my voice doesn't sound, you know, amazing, that's probably why. Um, if I cough, I don't mean to cough into the mic. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm literally trying to get over uh, a sickness that I've had for like two weeks. So thankfully, Jesus has preserved my life through it. But um, okay, this first clip is... Um, oh, this is going, th we're, we're going to look at a clip by Judah Smith, our favorite. <laughs> <coughs> Judah is our favorite. <laughs> There's just so much content here. Let's look at it. Here we go. Now, I want to say something about God. You are in his family, whether you acknowledge Papa or not. What? <laughs> what? What are, what are you saying? Don't, don't stop. Put the words back. Catch those words, Judah. I'm going to keep playing. 
You need to know that. Do we need to know that? That just because I acknowledge the father of us all and you don't, doesn't make me more a part of the family and you not. Do you know that? Now, I want to say something about God. I did not know that. <laughs> that's new. That's new information. Wow. That's that's uh, that's pretty mind blowing. So Judah said <laughs> it's a pretty short clip, um, but what he said, what he said. Right. Um, and I think he shared it. Yeah. I was oh, having he I want to say something about. God. Yeah. So he he shared this from his church or his. Well, I don't want to call it a church. It's called church home. Um yeah, so look, some of this stuff, it's funny because people are like, you know, you need to watch the whole thing. You need to watch the whole uh, uh, sermon to understand what's going on. It's like, look, they didn't obviously think that I needed to watch the whole sermon to understand that clip. They posted that clip. I didn't cut that clip. They cut the clip and they posted it online. So they're assuming that I don't need more context in order to see, understand what he's trying to say. So I, enough with... with a, anybody trying to say you need more context you need more context no they didn't think that that i needed more context he said what he said he's giving his he's explaining himself right there that's what he said so let's let's react to that because again these are the videos that people are sharing and resharing and posting and reposting so they're just gonna you know so they're allowed they're allowed to post whatever the heck they want you know, any, any, anything that they want, they can, they can post, but I'm not allowed to react negatively to what they're, or critically to what's being said. I can only react positively. I can only like it. I can only say that this is amazing. Oh my gosh, more, more, more. You know, it's like, no, if they're throwing, I'm, I, I've said this before. I think I said this from the first episode on, if you throw it out into the audience, you have to allow the audience to throw it back. Okay, if you throw me a soggy crap sandwich, I'm going to throw that soggy crap sandwich right back and you're going to smell it and taste it and it's not going to be good. Okay, because that's what I had to do. I <laughs> I need therapy for watching these clips. That's how bad it is. Okay, I have to sit through these clips and, and waste five minutes of my time or five seconds of my time or whatever. I can't get that time back that I just watched that clip in. So, okay, so so let's watch the clip one more time. <laughs> you are in his family, whether you acknowledge Papa or not. Okay, so, we're, so Judah is saying that you are in God's family, whether you acknowledge God or not. <sighs> I mean, I don't know what, like, okay. Well, let me just say this. <clears throat> My immediate reaction is that that is, again, a statement that contradicts what the Bible teaches us. And it contradicts what the church has always taught us for 2,000 years. It contradicts sound doctrine. And I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you. I'm going to take you to some scripture verses, okay? So let's go to our favorite. Um, let's go to our favorite uh, website continue okay yes continue without supporting you i'm sorry sorry i'm not supporting you bible gateway okay i'm supporting you by mentioning you and by using you on my platform okay you're welcome bible gateway that's my support 
Okay, so <laughs> so let's um, let's go to the Bible. Um, is it to the really the question is is this is it true as Judah says that that everyone is a part of God's family whether they recognize God or not? All right, let's let's see what the Bible says. Let's go to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, uh, verse one says this. This is Paul, the apostle writing to the Ephesian church. He says, and you, he's talking to his general audience in the Ephesian church. Now, Ephesus was a, a not a Jewish church. Okay. Ephesus was not a Jewish city. It was a Gentile city. It was a pagan city. And Paul, the apostle, uh, helped plant the church there. He spent two years of his life helping to plant that church, uh, planting that church essentially. But, um, he says this, you Ephesians were dead in the tres in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. Okay. You were dead. Remember that following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of God. Nope. In the sons of disobedience. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So we were all once sons of disobedience. Interesting. Not sons of God. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature, we were by nature children of Jesus. <laughs> children of Papa. Children of the Father, whether we liked it or not. Nope, that's not what the Bible says, Judah. We were by nature children of wrath, of God's wrath. Now, when the Bible says wrath, it's talking about God's vengeance. It's talking about God's justice. The justice that God uh, uh, perpetrates on injustice. So that it's it's like criminal behavior that God is is avenging. So when you break the law, the police are there to enforce the law and to punish evildoers. Well, when you break the cosmic law, which is the law, uh, the moral law, the natural law, the eternal law, the law that's written upon our hearts, that our conscience convicts us of what we're doing is wrong. And these are general things like don't steal. Thou shalt not steal. Look at the Ten Commandments, right? Don't, uh, don't bear false witness. Don't lie, right? Lying's wrong. Stealing is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Murder is wrong. Okay, so we see the we know that these things are wrong, but we do them anyways. Well, what does that make us? That doesn't just make us a criminal in our nation, because even if there was no nation, it would still be wrong. Why? Because we live in a universe that has that is God's universe with God's rules. And when we break those those rules, we're breaking God's rules. And so God then becomes the police and God is there to enforce his rules. And he's there to uh, exact vengeance and take uh, and, and punish us for what we've done wrong. So we were so when it says wrath, we were children of wrath. We were children of punishment, children that God was exacting vengeance upon that. And the vengeance wasn't always immediate. Sometimes the, the, ven the vengeance of God waits until the day of judgment, final judgment. But also a part of God's judgment was death. That, that death came upon the entire human race. So that's part of, of, God's, of God's wrath. So we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
So the, the Bible is very clear that the, that all of mankind, okay, is under the wrath of God. And why is all of mankind under the wrath of God? Because of the fall of man, because of Adam and Eve sinning, particularly Adam sinning in Genesis chapter three and being disobedient to God. And by Adam's disobedience, one man's disobedience, sin entered the world. This is the book of Romans. Sin enters the world. And then through sin, death enters the world because death is the punishment for sin. You ever wonder why we all die? Well, we die because that's the punishment that we've inherited for sin. But eternal life is available through Jesus Christ. But again, it's very important to note to note this, that we were by nature children of wrath. Now, that doesn't mean that um, God made hu- or makes humans evil or makes humans by nature evil. That's God makes every everything that God makes is good. So we were not we are not by nature uh, pure evil. We do have the image of God still imprinted upon us. And that image is there with that image, there is a dignity. Okay. And there is a value because the image of God is still upon us, but that image has been damaged. It's like God has made, you know, it's like, it's like uh, Michelangelo making uh, the statue David. So he, Michelangelo sculpts David perfectly. And then another person comes along who's not Michelangelo and smashes a part of that statue. So that statue is damaged. That statue is injured. Well, now that statue is by nature injured. Originally, that statue was not that way. But now, after the damage, it is that way. And that's what Paul is saying. That now, after the fall, we have become all all of mankind has fallen. All of mankind has sinned. And we've dealt with this in previous episodes where we, we, we were talking about Romans chapter one and chapter two and chapter three, where Paul very specifically says that all have sinned and fall and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person has sinned. Every single person, because of the injury due, uh, uh, done to our nature by sin and uh, by original sin, which we've inherited from Adam, and also actual personal sin by which we hurt ourselves and actively hurt God and our neighbor, those sins have caused us to be children of wrath. We've become criminals. And so we, don't, we haven't just inherited a tendency towards crime, but we've become criminals. We are guilty. There is a guilt upon us. And so the, the scripture is, is very clear that we are not children of of God by nature as, as it pertains to God's, uh, justice, right? It says that we're sons of disobedience. It says that we're by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And that when God found us, he found us dead in our trespasses and sins. Isn't that a fascinating point? Leonard Ravenhill once said that God doesn't, uh, think that the problem isn't that you're bad. The problem is that you're dead. You are spiritually dead and you, your sins, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 59, one and two, your sins have separated you from God. We have been separated from the life of God. So the scripture is all, all about that. Okay. Let's look at another uh, scripture. First John one, first John one, verse 10, it says this. 
By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Okay, tell us. So there's, so John is here making a distinction between children of God and children of the devil. So there are not everybody is a child of God. Not everybody's a child of the devil. There are some who are children of God and some who are children of the devil. Okay, well then how do we make that distinction? It says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So if you do not love your neighbor as you love yourself, which is the second commandment that Jesus gives us, which is the second greatest commandment, the first being love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And if you do not practice righteousness, you are not of God. You are of the devil. You are a child of the devil. You're a child of the devil. And why, why, okay, so why is that distinction being made? Why is John saying this? Because he said this before. So again, this is again a contradiction of what Judah just said. Um, I, want to, I want you to go to John chapter 8. And this is really interesting because John also wrote the gospel of John. And uh, he says this. He says, um, Jesus is talking to the, to the Jews and uh, they answered him in verse 39, and they said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham, that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth uh, that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. So Jesus said, you are doing the works your father did, uh, kind of leaving it ambiguous. And then they said to him, we, are, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So they're, they're trying to mock Jesus by saying he was born of sexual immorality because his, you know, his mom, Mary, uh, you know, was, was found out, you know, by Joseph to be pregnant and it wasn't Joseph's child. So they're probably playing on that. But they say we have one father, God. God is our father. Oh, that sounds interesting. That sounds almost like what Judah is telling people. <laughs> we have God for our father. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear my word. You are of your father, the devil. So Jesus accuses these people of having the devil as their father. And why does he say this to them? Look at, look at verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. That's what makes them father, uh, uh, children of the devil. When you do the devil's desires, you obey the devil and you join yourself and align yourself to the kingdom of darkness, to his kingdom. You ally yourself with Satan and you become a partner in the kingdom of darkness and you open up yourself to to oppression and possession of demonics by demonic spirits you are allying yourself with the kingdom of darkness but this is this is the, the crucial point your will is to do your father's desires when you mimic the devil's activity you become a son of the devil that it's it's very very simple the, uh, a son mimics his father's activity. And if you act, if your father is righteous and you mimic righteous activity, you are, you are of your father who is a righteous man. 
If your father is unrighteous and you mimic his activity, guess what? You do. You, you are his son. So Jesus is pointing that the out that the cause of of their their sonship is the fact that they act like their father. That the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, and so, um, so clearly, you know. John in first John chapter 10 or first John chapter three, verse 10 says that there are people that are not, not all people are children of God as Judah says. Um, These are new Testament scriptures. This is not the old Testament. I'm not quoting, you know, from the old Testament here. I'm quoting directly from the new Testament. Uh, Look at what Jesus says in um, again, in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. Uh, well, here, here it says, <clears throat> while, while Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But Jesus replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is very clear. If you do the will of the father in heaven, not in hell, you are, you become a part of his family. You are a part of his family. You belong in his family because you act like his family. It's very, very simple. Families have identities. Families talk a certain way, act a certain way, carry on a certain way, and they identify themselves as being a part of that family by how they act. And Jesus here is is saying, you if you act like my father, if you do the will of my father in heaven, you become my brother, my sister, my mother. Now, Jesus is not rejecting Mary as his mother. He honored her. And we are to honor her as the mother of God. Uh, God, the second person of the Trinity. Okay. Um, uh, in, in the flesh, this, you know, that we don't, we don't, we're not trying to separate, um, uh, Jesus's divinity. That's and from his humanity. We're not, and we're not going to get into that debate. That'll be another episode, but we honor, we honor Mary, the Virgin Mary as the mother of Jesus. Uh, and so Jesus wasn't saying this to, to insult his, his, his mother, but he was he was making a point and that that point actually applies to Mary. Mary did the will of the father. She did the will of God. And that's actually how she became Jesus's mother, because she accepted Jesus's. Uh, she accepted God's will. The Holy Spirit uh, uh, speaking through the angel Gabriel came to her and said, this is what you must do. You know, and this is what God's plan is for you. And what was her response? Let it be unto me according to your will. <clears throat> so Mary accepts the will of God and becomes, by virtue of accepting the will of God, becomes the mother of God. The second person of the Trinity. Okay. Again, we're not going to get into that, but if you want to dig deeper on uh, the, theo- the doctrine of the Theotokos, you can do that. Um, on not on my time, but that that's church dogma. That is, that was settled in, I believe the fourth century. Uh, I believe it's the council of Ephesus that said that, and we're not Nestorians. So that's the deal. Okay. 
Um, let's go to another scripture. I got a couple more scriptures on this one because I really want to hammer this home that the Bible contradicts this little idea that um, everybody's a child of God. Everybody's a child of God. Okay, woke theology. It's just woke. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. It says this. Um, it says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. John is talking about Jesus. The world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's a huge that's that's a huge verse against uh, Judaism that Jesus came to his own people, the Jews, and his his own received him not. Uh, they rejected Jesus. Uh, not 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 completely uh, because a remnant, remember the remnant idea that Paul talks about in Romans 11, there's still a remnant that did accept him, but in the main, the majority of them have rejected Jesus. Uh, but look at verse 12, look at this. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of Judas Smith, but of God. You're not a child of God because Judas Smith says you're a child of God. You're not born of God as a child of God because some woke pastor tells you something that sounds good and that will, you know, grow a large audience and I'm sure, you know, help him with his uh, endeavor to become, you know, all things to all men and the best friend of every celebrity in existence. Uh, no, the Bible is very clear. Okay. Jesus gave the right to become children of God based on their belief. Whoever did receive Jesus and believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You do not have the right to call yourself a child of God unless you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Unless you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you are not you are not, N-O-T, a child of God. Because it's not, you're, it's not that you were born of blood this way, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man. It's not wishful thinking, but it's actually being born of God. You have to be born of God. God has to do something supernatural inside of you by his grace. And we call that baptism. I'm just going to say it. Baptism, you, baptism by water and baptism by fire. We believe that it's faith and that baptism is the sacrament of faith, that when we are baptized, we, be, we are new cre creatures in Jesus Christ. But it's, it's God that does the work. And my last scripture, this totally lines up. My last scripture here is Romans chapter 8. And let's go to verse 14. It says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. If you are not led by the Spirit of God, you are not a son of God. If you are led by your own selfish, carnal, unspiritual spirit, you are not a son of God. 
If you are led by the spirit of the world, you are not a son of God. If you are led by the spirit of the devil, if you are led by a demonic spirit, you are not a son of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received. Now, who's he talking to? Who's the you? The you is the, is the church in Rome. Okay, this is the book of Romans. So he's talking to people who have already become Christians. This is not a, a letter that he wrote so that it could be read over the television, you know, so in Rome, you know, that, that they didn't have TV. But you know what I'm saying, to be read in public for all these, you know, public people who don't even know who Jesus are, is. No, this this is a letter written to a specific group of people who are a part of a specific a a, a the body of Jesus Christ. Okay. He says, but you Christian in Rome, you have received the spirit, the Holy spirit of adoption as sons. So you were, you were not sons of God. That's how adoption works. That's how adoption works. Adoption means that you were not a part of a family and then you became a part of a family. Yeah. And this is the language that Paul the Apostle is using, that the Bible and the scriptures use to describe our salvation. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Daddy God. No, I'm kidding. It doesn't say Daddy God. <laughs> Daddy God. Daddy God. Okay. No, I don't want to say Daddy God because people who say Daddy God, um, they usually develop... Uh, leprosy. So I'm not going to say that. Uh, but look at what it says. We've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out father. It's, it says father in Greek and then father in uh, Hebrew. So father for the Gentiles and father for the Jews. We both Jew and Gentile call out father to God based upon the reception of the Holy Spirit based upon who we have received as sons, as, as we receive as believing in faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that, that bears witness, that confirms with us our spirit, okay? Our spirits being our mind and our will. It is the Holy Spirit confirms in us that we are children of God. That's the confirmation that we have, that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and that the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit confirms it as we are led by the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Christ in order that may we may also be glorified with him. Amen. This is awesome, but this is very specific. And this contradicts completely what Judah said. We are children by adoption because we were formerly of our father, the devil, and we deserved to go to hell. And God had mercy on us and said, look, if you receive me and believe in me and are baptized into my body, the church, you will become a part of my family. You will become adopted as sons. And now you can cry out father to God in heaven. But before you couldn't do that because you were of your father, the devil. 
And that's the distinction that needs to be made. This is crucial to understanding our identity in Jesus Christ. And it's crucial to understanding how we preach the gospel. If people are always told that they are part of God's family, whether they like it or not, there's no need for salvation. There's no need for redemption. Being redeemed from what? You're, hey, you're already a child of God. You're not a slave to sin. You're good. I mean, that's essentially what we're, we're, what we're suggesting. That's what Judah is suggesting. And it affects the way evangelism works. If people, and I've said this before, if people don't believe they're sinners, then they will not see a reason why they need a savior. I'm here all week, folks. That's all I got. Okay. And you know what, Judah, if you want me to help you uh, make content <laughs> that is biblical, just let me know. Just call me. Okay. Just text me, uh, you know, get my number from somebody. I can help you. I can help you. Okay. Okay. So, uh, let's go on and, um, let's see what else we have to react to. This is another one that I saw recently. And this is interesting. Okay. I've never really pressured and you know Ooh, that's been really so loud. The person that's really loud. Should I turn it down here? Uh, probably. Okay, let's see here. Uh, pressured and you know been so the person that's like this is what it should. Yeah. Be okay. Let's I've watch just that experienced again. things in my life where for some reason it, there it are- doesn't uh, automatically play with the sound on. Hold on one sec. Okay. I believe in religion as much as I believe in faith and a, a relationship with, you know, God. Okay, so this is uh, Selena Gomez, and she's saying, I don't really believe in religion as much as I believe in a relationship with God. Where have we heard this before? Where have we heard this before? <laughs> the relationship with you is what you do. So, so Selena does, and I hear this all the time. Okay. This is a constant battle. This is a constant problem, uh, that I encounter, uh, a constant pet peeve, peeve of mine that I encounter when I'm online and I'm watching stuff. People, uh, always have this false dichotomy between religion and relationship. God. Got me. it. Okay. I've never really pressured and, you know, been so the person that's like, this is what it should be. I've just experienced things in my life where there. Okay, listen to that. She's like, I haven't really, you know, it's not about what it should be. You know, it's, I haven't really pressured other people to tell them what it should be. Notice this. I mean, this is, this is an accurate portrayal of what religion is. She's like, it's not, it's, it's, it's not about what it should be. There are holes in things mm. that nothing else can fill. And I know that if I didn't have the faith that I had, it wouldn't have gotten me through some of the hardest times in my life. And okay, that's good. I agree with that. That's great. I stand by that. I think there's just... The problem is this. What is the faith that you have, Selena? Like, you just finished saying you don't, 
you don't really know what it is and you're not trying to, you know, tell people what it is or what it should be. You're not trying to define it. All you know is that it got you through. What's that? Like, <laughs> what's that? Drugs can get you through. Antidepressants can get you through. Alcohol can get you through. Lots of things can get you through a situation. But can any of those things save you, redeem you, transform you? It's a lot that have that I wouldn't have been able to do. Um, so I, I think it's not really that word freaks me out sometimes. I, I get it. You know? Yeah, no, it's weird. It, it, that word freaks me out sometimes. It's, Sadly, yeah, there's a bad connotation it around is, it. It is, and I and I don't believe that. I think it's just it's it's a universal love, and it's something that mm, it's is, a uni oh, universal love. There it is. It's a universal love. We're all God's children. Look at look at what they're all saying. It's it's interesting. Like they're all kind of singing the same. We are the world. We are the children of God. We are the ones who make our bright out days. So let God give it. <laughs> that's what, I mean, that's really what they're all saying. They're all saying everybody gets into heaven. Everybody wins. Love wins. Universalism. No, there's no such thing as hell. There's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as you don't need to repent. You don't need to change. You don't need to switch sides. You don't need to acknowledge that the devil's your father because you're acting like the devil, because you're doing the things that the devil would do. Lying, stealing, murdering. You don't need to, you know, being an idolater. You don't need to, you don't need to obey God. You can be completely disobedient to God and you're still good. <sighs> I mean, that wouldn't even work for your normal home life. Like as a that that doesn't work for a 5-year-old. That doesn't work for a child. And yet you're telling me that that's going to work for God. Right. Like a normal dad will discipline his children for di being disobedient to him. If he says, hey, I, I want you to clean your room today, and they're like, no, F you, dad. Well, there's spankings in order, okay? First first off, no child should be talking to his father with expletives. Secondly, where did he even learn that? You know, take the iPad away immediately, okay? Thirdly, yeah, obedience. Every parent requires obedience. Everyone, you know, parents are like, yeah, I love my kids. Well, yeah, you should. But then you see them in the, I have the best kids. I have the best kids in the world. And then that same mom who's bragging about her kids will take them into the grocery store and immediately be like, sit down, sit down. Or I'll... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the dad who's bragging about his kids being the best at football is the same dad who's going to turn around and be like, <laughs> you little I'm gonna you know parents require dis required uh, uh, obedience and disobedience means punishment so it doesn't work the it doesn't work in any sort of commonsensical way and you're telling me God the father is 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 a totally different parent that he raises spoiled brats 
irreplaceable. It's it's just it casts out all this. It casts out all fear. You know? I'm. It casts out all fear. Mm. I mean, now there's there's a scripture verse that says that perfect love casts out fear, but again, for children, children should have a certain amount of healthy fear inside of them. Wouldn't you say so? Wouldn't a, shouldn't a child be afraid of 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 disobeying the the father? Shouldn't the, shouldn't a child be afraid of disobedience? Why? Because it helps mature the child. If a child is never afraid of punishment, then that child will do whatever that child wants to do. And because a child is emotional and makes irrational decisions, you're going to have a, a complete tyrant on your hands. You're going to have a monster on your hands. And then that child's going to grow up and become a monster for society. And society's going to have a monster on its hands and a criminal on its hands. You know, the criminals in society start by being criminals in the home. They become they, they start in the home as being disobedient and disobedient to parents or not even having parents to be disobedient to. But there's no restraint in the home. And then eventually that little baby King Kong turns into a big, big King Kong. The more bananas that it eats. And this is just this theology. All it is is just giving the baby King Kong another banana. Oh, it's a cute little baby King Kong. It's a cute little. <laughs> Look at how cute it is. Yeah, and then it's going to grow up and eat you. I'm going to that stage in my life where I'm kind of figuring out the difference within me of, you know, the difference between religion and faith, right? right. Exactly what you said, because I grew up in a Catholic school. I went for eight years, right. and God played a huge role in my life, but I'm not necessarily religious. Jeez but Louise. I do believe in God. I, right. I again, I, I feel kind of the same way you do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky, you know, and I, I've never been one to pressure anyone, you know. It's kind of something that anybody... Should anyone has the right to figure out themselves? Mm, yeah, you have the right to figure out yourself. Whatever, man. Go with the flow, dude. Yeah, man. Just whatever. You don't want the, you know, it's like your religion can be, you know, Satanism. My religion's Jesus. It's the same difference, right? You like sacrificing ba babies to the Lord of Darkness, and I like saving them from abortion clinics, and it's the same thing, right? you know so <laughs> let's okay <clears throat> let's look at um let's look at this word let's look at this word religion this is a um an etymological website this word religion that, you know, that this really freaking all these people out. Okay. Oh, religion. Ooh, okay. And again, you know, I've heard pastors go off on this. God did not come to, to <laughs> God. Jesus didn't die on the cross of Calvary so that you could have a religion. Okay. You know, it's like, since when did it become cool to act like Christopher Hitchens? Since when did it become Christian to act like an atheist and to talk like an atheist and to, and to talk like a secularist and someone who hates God, hates Jesus? I mean, they would say the same thing. Religion poisons everything. That's what, that's what all those new atheists used to say. Christopher Hitchens and Daniel Dennett and Sam Harris and all the, the, the whole Brady bunch. They all hated religion. And now we're, 
that's cool now. Now the now now the the pastors have, are starting to obey the commands of their oppressors. Is that what's going on? You guys got Stockholm syndrome over there? Hello. Okay, <laughs> McFly. Okay, religion. <laughs> Let's look at this. It's a noun. Okay, this is a great site for just you know helping you figure out the meaning of words, and some people need a lot of help in that area. But so this is uh, uh, first documented. It looks like in the year twelve hundred. Uh, religion. It, it's uh, the state. It's here. It defines the state of life bound by monastic vows. Okay. Also, action or conduct indicating a belief in a divine power and reverence for and desire to please that divine power. So look, it's it can be defined as an action or conduct indicating a belief in a divine power and reverence for and a desire to please it. I mean, how is that? How is that something to reject? How is that not exactly what Christianity is? It's a belief in a divine power, Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus, and a reverence for Jesus, and a desire to please Jesus. How is that, you know, what, what's the problem here? It's Anglo-French. It comes from Old French. But um, as many French words, it comes directly from the Latin religionum. Okay, nominative, uh, no, nominative, nominative of religio, um, or religio, um, respect for what is sacred, reverence for the gods, the gods, uh, consciousness, sense of right, moral obligation. That word's huge, obligation, because it, it's actually a part of the derivative of religion. It's obligation is the same idea here. Fear of the gods, divine service, religious observance, a religion, a faith, a mode of worship, cult, sanctity, holiness. Uh, this noun of action was derived from Cicero, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the idea here is that religion, it is a, uh, uh, really, the root meaning is, look at this, look at this. The root meaning is to tie or bind so when you're tied to something that the binding, the binding of that thing is what is the essence of that, the meaning of the word religion. It's a, you could say it's, it's the, uh, spirit, a, a spiritual binding. Okay. Or a, uh, sacred binding of a person, but it's look at, look at the, the, um, the, the, f the forms it also takes ligament ligament what's what's oh what's a ligament a ligament is attached to, is something that's attached to your body <clears throat> my arm is a ligament okay so religion and ligament are talking kind of about the same thing a binding together do you see where i'm going here the church is a religion the church has a religion because the church is a body and the, a body is bound together. Yes, it's bound together and you can't just separate it. And that's what all these people want to do. They want to cut everything up and separate it and say, me and my, my little individual Jesus. Me, I don't have a religion. I don't have a religion because really, because a religion would get in the way of you having your private interpretation of Jesus Christ. That's what they want. I just have me, it's me and Jesus in my life and nobody gets to tell me who Jesus is or what Jesus expects of me. 
And and by the way, there's no expectation. Look at look at this other word, oblige. Oblige. You know, when people are obliged, they're obligated to do something. There's an obligation. See, this is also why people don't like religion because religion obliges you. It makes you obliged to obey. They and they don't want to obey. Selena, she doesn't want to obey. She doesn't want to be told what to do by God because that because that means she couldn't live in her little me world. That she couldn't do whatever she has to do to be successful. And in many cases that's what it boils down to. If you know, if these people uh these people have success or obedience and they choose success every time. They want to they want to they'll do anything that the world tells them to do. They'll be completely obedient to the world because then the world will reward them with fame and the world will reward them with money and the world will reward them with all these temporary useless things that you can't take to eternity with you. But look, I mean this is this is essentially what the point is. The point is is that Religion is not a dirty word. It's only a, the, the word religion is offensive to people who are irreligious, to people who are godless, to people who are licentious, who want the liberty to do whatever they want to do. You know, when I have a driver's license, uh, I do have a driver's license, by the way, and it's amazing. And it's in the and Yeah. So that's all I'm saying about it. But and, and here's the number. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> When you know when when a person gets a driver's license, they do not have a license to drive off road. They do not have a license to drive on the sidewalk. They do not have a license to drive into oncoming traffic. The license that you have, the liberty that you have, is to obey the rules of the road and to get to where you need to go in accordance with the rules of the road. And in Christianity, there are rules to the road. There's a religion. Christianity is a religion because it is it obliges people. It connects people to each other. It obliges them to be obedient to God. It obliges them to love God. It obliges them to they're obligated to love their neighbor as they love themselves. And so in that sense again religion is not a dirty word. It is a good word. And it's even a bible word. Let's let's look at um religion in the Bible. James chapter two. Oh, hold on. Maybe it's James chapter one. Here we go. James chapter one. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person this person's religion is worthless. So James has the assumption in James chapter one, verse 26, that religion isn't a bad thing, that religion is actually a good thing. And he's saying that you're, if you think that you're religious and you don't act in self-control in regard to your tongue and, and you know, what are sins of the tongue? Well, here's a big one lying. Yeah. If you lie, if you bear false witness, you're sinning with your tongue. You're sinning with your mouth. So lying is a sin. And if you sin by lying, you're not a religious person. And your religion is worthless. In verse 27, James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father, is this. In other words, religion that God loves is this. 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In other words, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, including the least of your neighbors, which are orphans and widows, to love every single person, including the people who can't love you back by recompense and by giving you the things, you know, uh, uh, by giving you back what you give them. So to love the poor, and he's, he's specifying orphans and widows. And then he goes on. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. To keep yourself unstained from the world. That is, that is a religion that is pure and undefiled before God. That God loves. That God draws, you know, it, James later says, draw close to the Lord and he will draw close to you. Submit yourselves to God. Well, here's the idea. God loves, he draws close to people who love their neighbor as they love themselves, who care for their neighbor. As You know, that, that parable of Jesus, or sorry, that command to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, when Jesus said that, a lawyer came up to Jesus. Lawyers like to lie. Okay. Sorry for lawyers out there, but they lie a lot. And, <laughs> and... G the lawyer comes up to Jesus and tries to manipulate him as lawyers do. And the lawyer says, okay, Jesus, love my neighbor as I love myself. Great. But who's my neighbor? You know, and he's, he's suggesting, well, I only have to love the people that I like. Right. And Jesus, Jesus, instead of answering him directly, Jesus says to him, let me tell you a story. It's, here's my answer to you. This is who your neighbor is. Let me tell you a story. And guess what the story was? The story was the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of the man who walked by another man who was completely stripped naked and beaten to a pulp and, and, and all of his goods were stolen by thieves. And the Good Samaritan turned and saw that this man was in need and helped him and, put, and, and, and uh, uh, took care of his wounds. Uh, took him to a hospital and paid for his hospital bill. Jesus says that is the that is love for your neighbor. Well, this is exactly what James is saying. James is saying love your neighbor, including the people who are poor, and and he's using the people who are poor as the example of lo what loving your neighbor really looks like, just as what Jesus did. Jesus used the example of the man who was poor, beaten. Uh, had nothing, no money, no ability to repay the Good Samaritan, no ability to, you know, uh, it wasn't a trade. It wasn't capitalism. It was, it was, it was compassion. That's what it was. And that's true religion. And then James says to keep yourself unstained from the world. What does that mean? That means living a life of holiness. That means living a life so that you please God living a life so that you are part of God's family in, in holiness and in righteousness and being sanctified. Okay. That's what true religion is. And that's the kind of religion that God expects from people. Remember the, the, uh, the commandment. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 22.
It says this in Matthew 22, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment of in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, or sorry, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is commanding you to love your neighbor, commanding you to do it. It's, it's not an option. You see, this is what, and he's commanding you to love God and obey God above all, of all things, including your neighbor. If your neighbor says, do this, and God says, do that, you're supposed to do what God says, not your neighbor. If your body and your, your you yourself feel like doing something other than what God tells you to do, you're supposed to disobey your body and disobey yourself and obey God. You are supposed to put God first. Well, this is a command. This is what, and this is what people like Selena don't like. They don't like commands. They don't like to be told what to do. They don't like all these celebrities, they don't like religion because religion tells you what to do. It binds you to a commitment. It binds you to an obligation to be ob obliged to obey. It binds you to believe something. It, it, it binds us to God and they don't want to be bound because they don't love God. When you love God, you are bound to God. G.K. Chesterton once said that love is not blind, love is bound. And the less, the, the more that it is bound, the less it is blind. And so this is really part of the problem with us. We don't want to be bound to anything. We want to be completely free and emancipated from everything so that we can do whatever we want to do. Because, because we are, we are, we have created uh, self-idolatry. We live in a world where people are lovers of themselves, where they they put themselves above everything else and they privatize their religion so that they can privatize their interpretation of the Bible so that they can do whatever they want to do. And nobody can tell them any different. It's lawlessness. It's you know what it is? It's satanic. That's what it is, because the church of Satan, the church of Satan uh, the guess what the, the motto, the slogan of the Church of Satan is? Okay, do what thou wilt. A, a life of a Lester Crowley. Okay, he was a Satanist. Okay. Um... Do what thou wilt. Satanic pentagram. <laughs> yeah, do whatever you want. Oh, really? Yeah, that's pure Satanism, folks. Okay. <laughs> that is hilarious. Do what thou wilt. Um, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. That's modern Satanism. You know, that's the idea is... Satan does whatever he wants. He's completely rebellious against God. He doesn't care what God has to say. He exalts himself over God and exalts, therefore, his will over God's will. 
And that is what people want to do. And again, they're children of the devil, children of the devil. That's what modern society is coming to. This chaos of we get to do whatever we want to do. It's just satanic lies. It's satanic deceit. You think you're free, but you're not. You're enslaving yourself to the devil and you're enslaving yourself to the devil's desires, which are to seek, kill and destroy and not to give life and to and 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 that's the point. And, and you're deceiving other people along the way. So, no, this whole you know, this whole thing of like, yeah, I just do what I want to do. I mean, it's just unbelievably, uh, it's, it's unbelievably stupid. And it's really, you know, unfortunately we've inherited this from all the baby boomers. It's the baby boomers that have created this, this whole mantra, right? I mean, they officialized it. I'm sure that the pre the generations previous to the, the baby boomers, you know, during the roaring twenties, during the Gatsby area era, you know, that, that probably, uh, uh, had this same mantra because it was modernist and really all modernism has this sort of feel to it of, of, uh, you know, selfishness, but this really came into the fore in our society with the baby boom revolu revolution, with the sexual revolution, with the drugs, the drug revolution, with just living life however you want to do it. Rebellion against authority. Rebellion against convention. Rebellion against commandments. Rebellion against everything that you can find to rebel against and just making life whatever you want to make it. This is, this is, this is political libertarianism, right? But it's, it's essentially satanic. And it's also theological liberalism and moral relativism. It's whatever you want to do. It's all equal. It all ends up being whatever it is. You know, this, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> this is why people are cutting their penises off and cutting their breasts off and, and, you know, drilling holes in their bodies and, and making fake, you know, genitalia and, and, you know, becoming psychotic and killing themselves. This is why these evil things are taking place in our society, because the devil has used this seemingly innocent philosophy of do what thou wilt of, you know, Hey, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to define anything and whatever it, it means to you, it can mean to you and you can do whatever you want to do as long as, you know, just don't hurt anybody. That's what they say. Don't hurt anybody. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can hurt God. You can offend God. But as long as you're not hurting other people, you know, hey, whatever. And yeah, and 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 you can you can hurt people's brains and and, and hurt people's uh, intellects and insult their intelligence. But yeah, just don't hurt them physically unless they want to hurt themselves physically, of course, unless they want to cut their their, their penises off and and, you know, severely injure themselves and do irre irreversible surgery to themselves, irreversible harm to themselves. And unless they're, they're kids, then you can give them, you know, <laughs> you can give them drugs so that they never hit puberty properly. You know, it's like, it's, it's unbelievable. This is what it all leads to. It's either anarchy or tyranny and it's all satanic. Okay. Wow. Where are we at with time?
We're an hour in. Okay. Um, let's let's do a couple more. Yeah, let's do a couple a cup more. Um, okay, here's one that I saw recently I liked. <laughs> Everybody's like, man, these are negative. <laughs> hey, it is what it is, okay, folks? Okay, I like I actually really liked this one. In life is not having more kids. Why do you regret that? Because they're awesome. It's the best thing you can do in life. And how many kids do you have? Uh, three and a half. I have one stepdaughter. And how have they changed your life? Oh, they took all my money, <laughs> took all my youth, but it's worth it. It's the best thing you can do in life, I think. If your kids were watching I this video, that. what's a message you'd want to tell them? I would say, don't worry about having kids because you're never ready. Nope. Just do it. Yeah. So true. Ain't never going to be ready. So true. Biggest so true. This guy's got it. Okay, I was just railing on the baby boomers. This guy looks like a boomer. Um, but thankfully he, he has been delivered from boomer brain because boomer brain is all about avoiding children, avoiding family responsibility, living the best life that you can live and, uh, divorcing as many women as possible and having as least amount of children as possible. <laughs> but this guy's, this guy sounds like he's like, no, you know, I want to reverse that. You know, I want, I want, he's, he's repented. He's a repented boomer. We will allow him access into our, our, uh, our cult, the reactionary Christian cult. But, um, no, it's, this is great. I love this, this, uh, this take. I love what he says at the end, because the number one problem that I run into, uh, when I tell people to have children is married people, married people. If they have to, I tell them to have children all the time. But the number one objection I get is, well, children are expensive, Gabe. You don't know how expensive kids are. And what I always say to that is, no, children are expensive. You're expensive. You know, you're the one that likes the fancy vacations, the big homes, the fancy cars, the, uh, you know, dinner out all the time, fancy restaurants, whatever it is. It's parents that spend insane amounts of money on themselves. And really, uh, they don't need any of that. Um, your kids don't really care what kind of, what model and make car you drive. They don't not sure if you noticed that. And they don't really care about how many, uh, cars you, you can put in your garage and how, how big your garage is or how big the home is. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, that's negligible. Children care about the bare necessities of life. Is there food on the table? Is there a house over us? Do, can we get from A to B? Um, is, you know, those are basic, basic things in life that if people decide to scale down to, a, to a, a basic understanding of what they need in life, they don't need all those things. And so look at what this guy says. He says, you're never ready. I love it. That's the answer. Well, Gabe, you know, we can't afford kids right now. You know what? You'll never be able to afford kids if that's the way you look at it. If you look at it as, oh, oh, we're not ready. We're not ready. We're not ready financially. We're not ready emotionally. We're not ready, in a, you know, we're not ready. <laughs> Whatever way you think you're not ready to have kids, if you're married, you're ready. That's, that's the whole point of marriage. The whole point of marriage is children. 
if God didn't expect people to have children, he wouldn't expect people to marry because you can just kind of like hang out and get along with people and have friends that are not married. And sometimes, you know, in, in most cases, guys have better friends uh, than they do wives. If you know what I'm saying, like it's easier for a guy to to find somebody to go camping with that's not a woman <laughs> than it is for him to go camping with a woman, right? Or go on a road trip or do cool things with. I mean, it's it's like it's great to have a wife to do cool things with, but that's not the primary purpose of a wife. The primary purpose of a wife is so that you can put babies in her body that are your babies and that you can, by virtue of doing that, create a family and generate life so that the race can continue so that the, so that the, the, so that humanity can continue so that, you know, we can continue to live on the earth and that your life, you know, it's an interesting thing because all of the things that people work for in our life, most of them, you can't, you know, you can't take it with you. You've heard that phrase, right? But you know, there's one thing that you can take with you your children. You can take your children with you to heaven. Yep. That's right. If you have children and you raise them properly and they don't turn out to be complete disasters, you might be able to see them in heaven and say, Hey, <laughs> I know you. Here's a high five. <laughs> hey, you know, and they're going to be like, dad, thanks for, thanks for, you know, not being a total screw up and teaching me about Jesus and helping me, you know, to understand who Jesus was and preaching the gospel to me at a young age so that I can become a Christian and, and be raised in the fear of the admonition of the Lord. And now I'm in heaven. Thank you, dad. <laughs> That's what you can take with you to heaven. Everything else. Sorry. And this guy understands it. You know, children are a blessing from God. Let's look at that scripture. I don't really know what scripture that is. I think it's Psalm 139. Oh, sorry. Psalm 127. Okay, look, I'm not perfect, okay? There's like literally 150 Psalms. Okay, look at this. This is the Bible. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for God gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is is a reward. It's a blessing, not a curse. You are blessed. Don't listen to the demonic lies that our culture tells you. Our culture has an abortion brain, an abortion mindset, a contraceptive mindset that doesn't want, doesn't love life, hates life, is depressed about life, is suicidal and they're telling you those same people that are on antidepressants and, and psychotic drug medicine and whose lives are a complete disaster they're telling you not to have kids those are the people telling you not to have kids okay but no the bible tells you that children are wonderful children are a heritage from the lord the fruit of the loom is a reward it is a reward from god if you have a child you're that's a reward god loves you 
God is is pr proud of you. God is blessing you with your children. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. You know, I hear a lot about masculinity today. Like, oh, yeah, I'm an alpha male. I'm an alpha male. And yeah, we need more alpha males. We don't need no beta males. You know what? You know what the sign of a beta male is? A guy with no kids. Okay? And that's me. I'm a beta. I'm a guy with no kids. No. No. A guy, let me be specific. A beta male is a married man with no kids. Because I can't have kids. If I had if I had kids, they'd be illegitimate children. Okay? I'm not bringing bastard children into the world here. Okay? I'm not just <laughs> spreading my seed. Although, you know, there may be some in the Philippines because I got carried away on an emissions trip one time. But the point is, I'm kidding. That's a joke. Okay. Um, the point is that the Bible is saying like arrows in the hand of a warrior, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. If you want to be a warrior, have children. The Bible compares a warrior with a man who has children and he takes his children and he raises them up and he, he, he makes those arrows sharp and he sharpens those blades. And then he pulls that sucker back and he shoots that arrow right into the world. And he, he does damage to the kingdom of darkness with the children that he has raised in his home. That's the, that's what a real man does. You want to know what masculinity is? It's fatherhood, being a father and not just being a father. like, Oh, token child. I'm going to do my token child. But the real, the real work of the, of the real world is what I do outside the home. No, 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 no. All the work that you do outside of the home is for the purpose of the home. A real man looks at the home and the family that he's raising as his number one job. He doesn't look at his job outside of the home as his number one job, as his first commitment. He looks at him he looks at his home as the thing that he's building, the castle that he is building and the, and and that he rules as a king. And so many men miss this. And so many men are beta males because they miss this. They're looking and they're finding their identity. They're trying to find identity outside of the home. And that and and so they get into, you know, like I just need to be the king of my office space. I need to be the manager. <laughs> How dare you talk to me like that? I manage 14 people. I drive a Dodge Stratus. You do not talk to me like that. The idea here is that men will look for their identity in their worldly uh, accomplishments, their, their accomplishments outside of the home. And they'll think, oh yeah, because I'm a boss at work, that means I'm a I'm an alpha male. That means I'm a real man. I got real masculinity because I worked my way up this corporate ladder. No, dude, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you're a real man. You're a warrior when you have arrows in your hand. And those arrows are children. Though your job is not the, the the priority here. As a real man, your focus should be to be a family man. Real men are family men and real men look at their family as a, as a, as a weapon against the enemy, as a weapon against the devil, as a weapon against the world. And, 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 it, and they build their home and they take pride in it and they allow the Holy Spirit to move upon them as Kings in their home. And they, they, uh, you know, they invest their time 
in their home and they, they value family life as the number one value under God. But look, it goes on and it says this, verse five, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with children. Again, it's using the warrior analogy for men, because this is a manly issue. You know, again, th this is, you have to, real men are strategic about life. Masculine men, they're like Napoleons in life, but they're Napoleons in the right way in the, in the, in the things that, that, that are properly ordered. And the family is the primary point. Okay. The, the family is where you need to be strategic the most because the souls of, of, of your, of those children are at stake and the soul of your wife is at stake. And again, I just see so many men focused on everything other than the home and it's not masculine. You're not a masculine man. If you focus on everything outside of the home, if your biggest job, if your if your biggest your your real identity is in in what they pay you to do, you know nobody pays you to start a home. Nobody nobody pays you to build a home. Nobody pays you to have children. You that is something that is that you'll never get you'll you'll never get paid to do, but it's the greatest work of life, and there's a paradox in that. But again, these, there's so many pre, pre, pretentious men who are pretending to be masculine and they're not interested in family life and they're not interested in making their home awesome and in properly looking after their home. Um, and they're not interested in, in, in filling their home with children. Look at what it says. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with arrows his quiver with arrows. You need to fill the quiver, dude. You need to fill the quiver. Well, does that mean I have to have lots of kids? Well, I mean, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want lots of kids? What kind of, what kind of a warrior are you? I mean, you know what, to be honest with you, maybe you're just not that much of a warrior. Maybe you're kind of a, you know, like maybe you're just a, you know, kind of like a private soldier, you know, just like a normal soldier. Like one of those guys who cleans the latrine, you know, cleans the, the bathroom. <laughs> who never sees active duty, you know, maybe you're one of those guys, you know, maybe you're, you're like a button pusher, you know, or, or like a pencil pusher or like a, you, maybe you're the kind of soldier who like, who like puts files in like the filing cabinet at the military headquarters. <laughs> you know, maybe that's your warrior, you know, Hey, somebody has got to do it. I'm not saying you're not a part of the army, you know, maybe that's, but, and that's great. If you want to be that kind of a, a soldier, um, but I think the warrior soldier is the one that wants to be on the front lines. I think the warrior soldier is the one that wants to see action, who wants to go for multiple tours, who wants to be a part of the elite in the army, who wants to work his butt off to be the best, who wants to, uh, uh, look at his, 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 uh, ab ability and, and constantly critique it and constantly get better and, you know, be a Marine, be a Navy SEAL, be special forces, Delta force, baby. Okay. If I was in the military, I would totally try to be Delta force and I would pro totally end up being the guy who puts paper in the, in the, <laughs> in the filing cabinets. Okay. But it, whatever. Okay. I have weak ankles. It is what it is. But the point is simply this, a warrior, is going to fill the quiver of it with arrows. He's going to get as much ammunition as possible. He's going to he's going to go the distance. 
And the Bible says he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Oh boy. That's, that's fighting language right there. When he speaks with his enemies, he's pulling those arrows out. Boom. So this is masculinity right here. Having a plan for a family, being a family man, that is what true masculinity looks like. And I'm sick and tired of, of, of hearing dudes, you know, Christian dudes, whatever, who are constantly making excuses for why they can't have a family. It's, it's pathetic. It's like, it's like dudes who make excuses. You know, the, 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 the world's at war. It's World War II. You know, uh, Hitler is trying to take over Europe. And, uh, and you're sitting and trying to make excuses why you're not fighting. You're trying, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah, okay. All right, well, that's, you know, that's your prerogative, I suppose. Okay, we're done with that one. Um, I loved that video. That guy's awesome. All right, let's do, should we do another celebrity? Oh, these celebrities, they're just, <laughs> these celebrities are just, gluttons for punishment all right let's do this one actually let's do this one here we go oh i started seeing behaviors okay, hold of on. i don't know why this is not and went to church all the time and then i started seeing behaviors of people from the church i went to okay so this is a celebrity i, I think her name is demi lovato and um yeah she's a singer or something that were really problematic it just changed things for me i had like a, a negative experience that i won't forget i kind of always correlated that to the church there was a lot of shame that came from the church and my religion that I, you know, had had experienced. Religion, there and... it is. Religion, there it is. Well, that's not to say that, like, there are people who are religious that are, like, all bad people. It, that's not mm. the case at all. There are good and bad everywhere. But I just was seeing kind of the negative side of it. And so that kind of influenced my path as well, my spiritual path. I believe that something created us, but I don't know what. And I don't think it's a man with a white beard. Not to say <laughs> shoot. that whoever does believe in that is wrong. Like, no, no, nobody's wrong. Nobody's wrong, guys. Nobody's wrong. Okay. Nobody's wrong. Nobody's right. It's just, it's, it's whatever you want it to be. It's like, I like vanilla ice cream. You like Neapolitan ice cream. Somebody else might like moose tracks. Somebody else might like, you know, um, I don't know, something else, <laughs> no ice cream. You know, we can have any, anybody can do anything they want, guys. I don't have the answers to the universe. So. Oh, you don't have the answers to the universe. I love it. Oh, who knows? Who knows? I'm no longer. There is no answer to the universe. I mean, I don't have them, so they must not exist. And, um, the mindset of that. I have all the answers from a book. I Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a book, you know, it's just a book guys. It's just a book. 
um, Christian okay, so. and went to church all the time. And then I started seeing behaviors of people from the church I went to that were really problematic. It just changed things for me. I had like a, a negative experience that I won't forget. I kind of always correlated that to the church. There was a lot of shame that came from the church and my religion. That Okay, so basically, um, what would I say there? I would just say, this is so common. Um, and it's, look, there are people who, and she does qualify this, and she says, look, there, there are good people and bad people everywhere you go. And, and, and so she got turned off uh, when it came to religion and when it came to Christianity, it sounds like, uh, because there were some people that she didn't like or some people offended her or hurt her. Look, um, people will offend you and hurt you and your family. Okay? That doesn't mean family life is bad. That doesn't mean mothers and fathers are not good. Uh, that doesn't mean you shouldn't honor your father and your mother. You know that it's interesting. Jesus, Jesus didn't say... Or the, the, the God didn't say honor your father and your mother as long as they're honorable. It didn't say honor your father and your mother as long as you like them. Honor your father and your mother as long as they haven't done anything to offend you. That's not what it says. It says you are to honor your father as your father and you are to honor your mother as your mother. Those are stations that God has made that you are to honor. It's like, it's like, you don't honor the president because you voted for him. You honor the president because he is the president and he is a man who sits in the highest governmental office in the land and you are to honor his office. Well, you are to honor your parents the same way, even more so because the president didn't give you life. Your parents gave you life. The president didn't wipe your butt when it was poopy. You, your parents did. Your, the president didn't feed you, okay? Well, and give you stuff unless you have an Obama phone, okay? The Obama phone's real. It's real, okay? But the point is simply that the president didn't do all these things. Your parents did these things. You were to honor them. So likewise, we honor the church. The, the church is good. Family is good, even though family hurts us. Okay, even though family can take advantage of us, even though family can betray us sometimes, we still honor our mother and our father. Even if you had a crappy dad, you're still you're still you're still supposed to honor him as the dad, the person who gave you life because without your father, even though he was crappy, you wouldn't ha you wouldn't live and you wouldn't exist. And you know what? To some of these people who don't honor their parents, maybe it's better that they didn't live. You know, in the Old Testament, if you dishonored your parents for anything, they would stone you to death. That was the judgment. The judgment of the Old Testament under, under the, the law of Moses was that if you dishonored your mother and your father for any reason, you could have been justified in dishonoring your mother and your father. You still got stoned. And not with weed, okay? Like real rocks until you're dead, hitting your head over and over. <clears throat> so... This, this, this girl, I understand the emotion that she's, that she's, you know, having and she's expressing. And I, I would just tell her, look, there are people in the church that are going to offend you because church has people in it. And wherever there are people, there's going to be offense because people offend each other and people hurt each other. But that's not an, that's not a reason why you 
abandon the church. You know, people, the church wasn't created by people. The church is, and that's the difference between the church and like a yacht club is that it's not something, it's not like a, a social club. It's not like a bunch of people decided to get together and to have this thing. That's not what it is. The church is something founded by Jesus Christ. And our commitment to the church is based on our commitment to Jesus Christ. And that although we get offended, we stay because we don't, we, because we don't see ourselves just as belonging to people. We, we see ourselves as belonging to Jesus. As I've said before in earlier on, we are part of his family. It's Jesus who is, uh, who, who has adopted us into the family of God is the father uh, God has adopted us into his family and we are in church and we stay committed to the church because of that. But the other thing is she points to this thing of like um, shame. And um, you know, to be honest with you, like shame is good. <laughs> I'm, I don't like, I don't like this thing of no shame anymore. Like people are like, Oh, you're shaming. Stop. You know, they, they talk about, um, fat shaming. That's, that's like a recent one because we don't talk about sin anymore. We just talk about like superficial stuff, like fat shaming. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> it's like, do you know how many obese people there are in America right now? Do you know how fat everybody is? It's like insane how fat everybody is, but we're not allowed to fat shame because, because <laughs> like if there was ever a time to fat shame in the history of humanity, it would be now. <laughs> like I'm not saying that we should be nitpicky about, you know, people's weight. Uh, and just like if somebody's you know, a few pounds overweight, I'm a few pounds. Well, you know, probably more than a few pounds overweight, but it's like right now we live in this supersized culture where everybody's like in morbidly obese, like, a hundred, 150, 200 pounds over what they should be. And we're not allowed to fat shame. We're not allowed to say, Hey, there's something wrong with that. Hey, you could die of a heart attack. Hey, uh, you might not live to see your children, uh, graduate high school. Hey, you, <laughs> you could get diabetes. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, dude, that's not, that is not cool. Like we should be bringing back shame in the sense that there should be social there. Sh it used to be that in our society, if you did certain things that were immoral, you would, there was shame attached to that. You know, if you had a bastard child, if you, if you had a, a child at a wedlock, there was shame attached to that. And there should be shame attached to that because people shouldn't be born out of wedlock. That if there's if there is sinful behavior, negative behavior, uh, uh, behavior that's immoral, shame should be a, a part of that so that we don't do those things. So this whole thing of like, no, there was shame. There was shame. It's like really what what that is code for is they, they were talking probably about sin and she didn't want to sit through a service and be reminded that she was a sinner. And that she was unrepentant of her sin. And believe it or not, that's what the majority of this is all about. It's all about like, and, and that's why you'll notice that the churches that these people go to, they never talk about sin. They never talk about guilt. They never talk. They never use any language that could cause personal shame. Now, when I say shame, by the way, I'm <laughs> even the fat shaming thing. I'm not saying that we should like, you know, uh, <laughs> like tar and feather people, although tarring and feathering, 
probably has, you know, some merit. Really, you know, they used to they used to do that. If somebody was a public figure and they were engaged in a public scandal, they were tarred and feathered. And I think public public scandal should probably cause be good cause for that. But I'm not what I'm not saying is that we should go, you know, you know, like uh, like searching through people's lives to to find, you know, fault find. Because if 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 uh, we were to look for fault in people, every single person has sins. Every single person has sins in their past and have have, have things that they're ashamed of that they've done. So that's not what we're trying to do here. But we are trying to say that when the the when the gospel is preached to people there there is a convicting point in the gospel as we've noted earlier in acts chapter uh, 2 in the on the day of pentecost when peter stood up and preached the gospel the bible says that they were cut to the heart when peter told them the gospel he preached about their immorality and he said save yourselves from this from this wicked generation, this godless generation, save yourself. And, and that, and he, he said, you, you killed the Lord Jesus. He, he convicted them. There has to be a conviction of sin. And that conviction of sin brings actually the repentance, the contrition for sin that's needed. You see, contrition for sin is the essence of repentance and repentance is really the necessary component to the remission of sin. If we are going to have our sins forgiven, we have to be repentant of our sins. We have to, we have to be broken for our sins. Look what David says in, um, this is a great scripture on the nature of contrition. Uh, David sins. He ha uh, commits adultery with Bathsheba. He kills Bathsheba's husband so that there, you know, he's trying to, you know, stay with, get this girl. I suppose that's how he gets girls. And then he, he, the Dave, Nathan, the prophet comes to him and says, you have sinned greatly. And so, uh, David's response is Psalm chapter 51. And if you read Ch Psalm chapter 51, he is broken. He is, he is a man who is, he says, have mercy on me. O God, according to your steadfast love, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. These are the words of a man who is full of shame for what he's done, but it's not, it's, it's not resulting in, in a negative thing. It's actually resulting in him going to the Lord and asking for mercy. You see, this is the point of preaching on sin and teaching on sin, that people personally are convicted of their personal sins and they go to God and they turn away from their sins and they ask for his forgiveness. Um, look what David says. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is, this is what the Bible wants us to do. It wants us to have a conviction for the things that we have done and that you don't have to, t you don't take it all online and say, Hey everybody, this is what I did. No, it's between you and the Lord. It's a confession between you and the Lord. The Lord knows what you did. And so the purpose of teaching on sin and guilt and shame is that we, well, sin and guilt is that we are ashamed. Dave, these are the words of a man who is ashamed of what he's done. And look at what he's look at at the, at the end. He says, 
He says, purge me with hyssops and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Oh, God breaks bones? Yeah, he does. He does it so, so that we can be healed. But that is a part of even the punishment. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know, he, David is is telling God the same things that we probably tell a therapist. You know, I just feel so bad and I feel, you know, I've seen people like they, they you know, they have these these therapist sessions where they're crying to their therapist, they're telling their therapist. It's like, no, you don't need a therapist. You need to get in front of the, the Lord. You need to get on your knees and, and you need to cry out to God and you need to tell God, don't talk to your therapist about your sins. Talk to God about your sins. Your therapist can't forgive you. Only God can forgive you. You need to talk to God, the way you talk to your therapist and you need to stop paying that person thousands of dollars because they're not, they can't help you. But look what David does. He says, he continues, he goes, um, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Oh, he says, deliver me from blood guiltiness. Oh God, look at, he knows he's guilty. He's ashamed of what he's done. Guilt, guilt produces shame when it's proper. When, when guilt actually has its proper effect it produces shame you're and, and david is ashamed of what he's done he's saying oh god i can't believe what i've done i am so guilty lord but then look what he look what he says open my lips god and my mouth will, will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or i will i would give it in other words god doesn't delight in david going to the the old testament temp, temple and, and offering a dead animal and saying, all right, God, here's the sac the, the dead animal sacrifice for my sins. And I, we're good now, right? We're good. We're good, right? So he's saying, no, that's not what you delight in. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Again, referring to the Jew, uh, Jewish ceremonial offerings in the temple. David says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit and contrite heart. You know, this is what so many people are resisting, including Demi Lovato. And if you're listening, Demi, this is, this is my word to you. And I know you're listening because I know you watch my podcast, the reactionary Christian, because that's how world renowned this podcast is. And I just want to tell you, Demi, God loves you, but he wants you to be broken. That is that brokenness is good. That is what we should lean into. We should lean into the brokenness, the contrite heart. You know, so many people are like, I, I'm, you know, I'm so broke. I'm so broken. I'm just a broken person. Well, they, you know, the, the brokenness, God is looking for broken people. God is looking for the sick so that he can heal them. But we have to humble ourselves. And that's what people don't want to do. You know, they'll call themselves broken. Sure, they'll call themselves broken, but they won't humble themselves. And they won't acknowledge that they're the ones that have broken themselves. 
And that's really what God's, you know, everybody's trying to blame shift. Everybody's saying, yeah, I'm so broken because of my, I'm so broken because of my past relationship. My boyfriend, he was so abusive. And my parents, they were so abusive and they broke me. My, my, my stepdad, my dad, my stepmom, the government, my boss, you know, my friends at school, my teacher, everybody's trying to blame everybody else for their brokenness other than themselves. That's not what David does. David acknowledges that he has broken himself and he breaks himself and he says, I am broken and I've done, I've, I have brought this upon myself. David is humbling himself. He's humbling himself. And that's what we need to do. When, when we are convicted at church for sin, that's good. Because that should cause us to be more broken. And God loves brokenness. It says, oh God, you will not despise brokenness, a broken and a contrite spirit. God loves brokenness because it's humble, it's, it's humility. And God is attracted to humility. J the book of James says that uh, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When you humble yourself, God, that's like irresistible. That's the kind of irresistible grace that I'm talking about. That's the kind of irresistible grace that God gives. God loves humble people because he's drawn to humble people. People who humble themselves and say, yeah, you know what? I am guilty. I am the problem and I'm the biggest problem in my life. I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I need cleansing. And God, please help me. I'm crying out to you. Help me. Save me. I'm calling on your name. I'm calling on, on, on someone who can forgive me of my sins. And I'm not blaming anybody else anymore. You know, these people, they are so obsessed, uh, obsessed with themselves. They're narcissists. And that's why they don't blame uh, uh, themselves. That's why they're never the problem. It's always other people. Oh, I went to church and I just felt like they were so negative towards me. <laughs> I just, I went to church and like, and like there was so much shame. It's like, oh, oh, in other words, they told you you were a sinner and that you needed to repent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, no, dude, that's, that's called the gospel. <laughs> you know, everybody is welcome at church as long as they repent. Everybody is, is, is. You know, the, the only real difference, in a sense, uh, between people in the church and people in the world, people who are Christians and in the family of God and the people who are not, is humility and repentance. That that the people in the world are unrepentant for their sins. And and it, it, it again, it, it pushes people out of the church. What really pushes people out of the church is the fact that the church talks about sin. And the church accuses people of sin, of being sinners and people won't stand for it really quickly here. John chapter three, we've talked about this before for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. All right. Everybody loves that verse, but you got to keep reading for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Oh, great. Okay. So far, so good. Demi Lovato. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Wonderful. But whoever does not believe in Jesus is already condemned. What? Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. 
Uh, what? Okay, keep reading. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Look at that. People love the darkness rather than the light. They love their sin and they don't want to give their sin up and they don't want to acknowledge that they're sinners. They don't want to acknowledge that they can't live the way they want to live and do whatever they want to do. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Look at that. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light. You do wicked things, you hate the light. The thing that repels people from the church is when the church preaches the Bible, preaches about sin, teaches people about sin, and people feel guilty and out of their guilt they have shame and they but they don't want the guilt and they don't want the shame because they love doing wicked things and they hate the light and they love darkness and they know that if they came to the church and if they came and they stayed in that church their work their works their evil works would be exposed in other words they would have to stop doing what they're doing because they would receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but they don't want to receive the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And look at what it says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly, it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So it's, it's all about, it's not about hiding darkness, hiding all of our junk, you know? Oh, there was so much shame. There was so much shame. Yeah. Because what you're doing is evil and wicked. And when you bring it into the light, it's exposed as evil and wicked. And that should do something inside of you. That should cause you to be broken and to humble yourself and to call out for God for forgiveness. That's the normal response. It's like a person who's sick and they're hiding their sickness. They're hiding their disease. And they don't want to go to the doctor because the doctor is going to tell them what they don't want to hear. That they're sick and that they have a disease and that it's terminal. And that they need medicine, but they don't want the medicine because they don't want, they either don't want the process by which they are going to be healed or they just don't, they just don't want to, they want to live in, in denial about their sins. But going to the doctor means that he's going to, you have to give yourself over to the doctor so that the doctor can heal you. And sometimes it hurts. The healing hurts, but the, the doctor doesn't hurt us to wound us. For the sake of hurting us, the doctor hurts us to heal us. The good doctor. And how much more is Jesus, who is the great physician, going to hurt us, but only to heal us? He loves us and he, he exposes our sins and makes us fess up to our sins and makes us recognize, yep, yep, absolutely, I'm a sinner. I did this. Lord, help me. Heal me. Forgive me. That's, that, that's the humility that God is looking for. And that's the humility that causes us to be saved. Okay. Um, let's see here. Okay. Oh man. We're just, we're just doing, <laughs> we are just doing all of the celebrities today. Let's just, let's do another celebrity. I like these celebrity videos. Can, can we do another celebrity video? An hour and and fifty. Okay, we have one, we have just enough time for this one. Are like 
I'm going to do this so that God can. Okay, let's look at this. Weird Christians that I came across. That yeah. Was like, I don't think I want to be a Christian. Yeah. You know, and then I got to a point where I was like, I was so lost. I'm like, let me try to revisit my faith. Huh. Most Christians are like, I'm going to do this so that God can love me. I'm going to yeah. like, if I show up wearing this, like, he'll respect that, you know? Of but course. that's not what God is. Like, if God is based on love, it's I love you first, regardless of what you do, rather than you do this and then I'll love you. Does that make sense? He loves totally. you no matter, he, he loves he, you no no matter, matter what. what. Yeah, it doesn't mean you can go do what you want, but it, it just, if God's based on love, like, I, if I love my girlfriend, right? Yeah. I'm not going to want to cheat on her because I love her so much. It's not like... If I don't cheat on her, she's going to love me more. Or you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, she probably will. <laughs> it's like yeah. you develop a relationship with God. Oh, so relationship. That that's our that's our word. Remember, relationship. They all use the same language. You need to be picking up patterns here, okay? Like the this is a this is pattern recognition for people who are, you know, have an IQ of over a hundred <laughs> pattern recognition. Okay, folks, these people, they all use the same sort of lingo, right? It's all very spiritual, nebulous, uh, vague terminology that can really mean anything. It's ambiguous terminology. And it's, it's, it all comes down to this, this, this focus on hyper focus on the word relationship, right? Which is a, again, as I've said before, it's a it's a it's a term that is relative right relative like literally it's a it's a term that means whatever it means to you in that moment <laughs> it can mean anything so that you don't want to do that other stuff yes you don't want to be judgmental you don't want to hurt people because you're like oh like god loves me as soon as i could understand my worth and knew that like hey people aren't giving me what i need like yeah people are always wanting something. I can never tell if something's really authentic, but when I really sit in my room and I'm alone and I can just like, God, are you there? Like, I feel this connection with something that's a higher being. It just- Something that's a higher being. <laughs> like, like, look at how vague all this stuff is. Like, seriously, like ambiguous terminology, folks. Something that's a higher being. Say the name of Jesus Christ. Say Jesus Christ. Say it. Say Jesus Christ. <laughs> Like, why are you ashamed of saying the word, the phrase, Jesus Christ, the name that is above all names? Dude, why can't you just say it? Like, if this was, if you were all into Buddhism, you'd be like, yeah, Buddha, man. Buddha's awesome. He's really cool. You know, that big old Buddha body, it, you know, it makes me want to lose weight. Actually, no, it makes me want to eat more Cheetos. But if we were talking about, you know, Islam, they'd be like, yeah, Muhammad, the prophet, he's amazing. Blessings be upon him. You know, if we were talking about any other religion, people would just be like, yeah, or like anything, really anything. Like if they're talking about yoga, they'd name yoga. They'd say, yeah, yoga is amazing. I love yoga. I love ugh, hot yoga, cold yoga, you know, me <laughs> like they love people who are into something they talk about it they they use explicit language to signify what they're talking about but this guy he's like yeah a higher being you know like whatever that higher being is to you like what is that what is the higher be i mean it's like the devil's a higher being 
<laughs> like the devil has a lot of power. The devil's super smart. You know, he's been around for a long time. He's seen a lot of people come and go. He's seen a lot of stuff happen. He's super smart. He's, he's, he's got power over a lot of people. He's a higher being. I mean, who are we talking about? What higher being are we talking about? And picture it as being a perfect thing. Yeah. It just puts an ease to my soul that's like, I can't describe. Special. It's special, yeah. Growing up, there was so many... That's just... that's This is your brain on Judah Smith. I mean, what, what, what else can I say? It's like, it doesn't... There's nothing really going on. And then in this... Be the beginning part of this video is really weird. Like... Weird Christians that... This is weird. I think this is weird. It's weird to... To like, to like not really refer to what you're trying to talk about. Like it's cryptic language. You're trying to use cryptic language. That's weird. Uh, you know, just that. And then, and then the, the way, he, okay, keep going I came here. Across, I yeah. was like, I don't think I want to be a Christian, yeah. you know? And then I got to a point and where. And by I the way, this whole weirdness thing, like, oh, I don't want to be a Christian because Christians are weird. Like, you know what, dude, in our society, yeah. Uh, what do you, I mean, what did you want? You wanted somebody that like looks like the world, talks like the world is like the world lives like the world desires the same, same things as the world. That's what you want. Like, in other words, you don't want somebody to, when somebody stands out as going counter to the whole, uh, force of secular, godless, heathen, hedonistic, narcissistic culture, um, you know, that's weird to you. Like that's, is that the kind of weirdness we're talking about? Christians are weird because they stand out because they're not going to bow down to the idols that are all over, you know, all around us. They're not going to, they're not going to just cave in and, um, let the world go to hell the way everybody else wants to and live like the devil. Like what, what is this? What do you mean? It, like Christians are weird. Like they're moral. Like they have standards. Like they're not going to participate with you in your, you know, whatever. Like that's what weirdness really means. I think in the cultural currency of secular culture, like, Oh, those, the, you know, Jesus freaks. Yeah. I'm a Jesus freak, dude. I'm a hardcore Jesus freak. Best Christian album of all time, by the way. I'm a, I'm a hardcore Jesus freak, total Jesus freak. And I mean, that's what you've got to be. You've got to be radical. You've got to be countercultural. And that's that's really what I think this guy means. Justin, this guy. I see I'm using nebulous language. This guy. This is this is what I think Justin means. Where I was I, I was so lost. I'm like, let me try to revisit my faith. Most Christians are like, I'm going to do this so that God can love me. I'm going to yeah. like if I show up wearing this, like Well, hold on. God does respect the things that you do. God God does love God. As I said before, God's drawn to humility. If you humble yourself, the Bible is explicit. If you, God actively re rejects the proud and he actively is drawn towards his grace is drawn towards the humble. So yeah, if you humble yourself before the Lord, God is, God loves that. I mean, the story, there's a story that Jesus told about uh, a publican or a, a tax collector and a Pharisee. And the, the Pharisee shows up and says, God, thank you that I'm amazing. And thank you that you've made me amazing. And thank you that you've made me so successful. And thank you for my awards. And thank you for my accomplishments. And then he goes down the list, thanking God for all the great things he has. And then 
the uh, tax collector, all he says is he can't even lift his head up to heaven. He humbles himself and he says, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Have mercy upon me. He's beating his chest and he's crying out to God for mercy. Well, God loves that. And, and Jesus said, which one do you think went away more justified? Obviously, it's the, it's the guy who asked for mercy rather than congratulating himself on, on, on how he didn't really need God, but God was more like an option to him. It's like there's no humility in this stuff. It's just it's just like whatever these people, celebrities, want to make it. It's like they're making their own religion, living by their own rules, and really accepting Jesus on their own terms. And that's not how we do it. We do not accept Jesus on his own terms. We accept Jesus on his... We do not accept Jesus on our own terms. We accept him on his own terms. Um, and, and when we accept Jesus on his terms, then we are pleasing to him. And, but then the, we have to continually live by his will to be continually pleasing to him. Um, let me, uh, really quickly go to first Thessalonians. There's first Thessalonians chapter four. Oh, look at the heading, a life pleasing to God. <laughs> Finally, then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, just that, that as you received uh, from us, how you ought to please, walk and please God. Oh, interesting. So Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church and saying, we ask and urge you that as you received from us, how you ought to walk and please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Yeah, so you're you're you are supposed to walk and please God in everything that you do. And you're supposed to do so more and more. So God can be pleased by how we live. Yes. And God can be displeased in how we live. Yep. And Paul goes on, for you know what instructions we gave you through Jesus, through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. You know, these are words that never come up in, in woke liberal churches because they don't want to talk about growing in pleasing the Lord, growing in sancti sanctification, becoming mature, being obedient to the will of God. And what is that will? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passion of, of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That see that or that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So, yeah, you, can, you want to know how to please the Lord? Obey his will, particularly in this area of sexual immorality, which, yeah, I mean, that's a massive issue in celebrity culture. You know, because they do whatever they want. They sleep with whoever they want. They, you know, sex is, is, is literally... You know, it's nothing. And these people, they don't care. Uh, but Paul is saying, no, God cares. And it's not just about sex. 
it's about ultimately look at this ultimately the will of god is about sanctification but when we do the will of god as it pertains to sex as it pertains to money as it pertains to idolatry as it pertains to anything in our, in our life as we walk according to his will we please him and we're supposed to do that more and more we are supposed to grow in our obedience to the lord and his will and by growing in obedience you grow in holiness. You grow, in, you know, in the in the thing that God has called us to. And it's and again, it's like a lot of people will be like, oh, it's just man-made religion. It's just man-made. Look at what Paul says. Paul doesn't say it's man-made. Paul says, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God. So when you're, you know, just saying, oh, I don't do the religion thing, you're rejecting Jesus. You're rejecting Jesus's religion. You're rejecting God's will his will for your life the things that he wants you to do and his and his commands for your life and you're rejecting again you're rejecting sanctification you're you're rejecting growing in uh um, spiritual maturity so um will respect that you know but course. that's not what god is like if god is based on love it's i love you first regardless of what you do rather than you do this and I'll love you. So that's true to a point where God does first love us. The Bible says that God uh, first loved us and we love him because he first loved us. That's very true. But I've but this is always a, a one. It's always preached and taught in liberal churches uh, as a one way street. It's always taught that God loves you and he loves you first and there's nothing you can do to earn his love and there's nothing you can, it's all focused on God's love for us and there's zero focus on our love for God. Even though Jesus didn't go around preaching the love of God, Jesus went around preaching love for God. Jesus went around saying the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The greatest commandment is that you love God. Love God, love your neighbor, do you know, do rightly and and live righteously according to God's standards and and in according to your neighbor. Jesus went around in that sense as a moralist and he was saying, no, the, you know, he didn't focus on, oh, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you anyway. Anyway, he's the one that loved you first and you can't out love him. And I don't know, love, love. It's like, no, it's just it's greasy grace. This is this is not a balanced, uh, proper um, sound understanding of what the Bible teaches about love. It's again, it's always. And again, this is pattern recognition. What you'll always notice with these liberal churches is that it's always one-sided love. It's always one-way love. It's never a, a, a love that, that asks anything of you, that requires anything of you. And again, you know, Justin uses this, this metaphor for marriage. And it's like, how do you think marriage works, bro? Like you think you can just cheat on your wife and she's not going to care? You think you can con continually sin against your wife and she's not going to care? I mean, that's if we're talking about a relationship. A relationship is a two-way street. You know, and it's and that isn't that interesting? The people who constantly talk about relationship are the ones that never really understand how relationship works. Relationship is a two-way street that when you honor the person you're in, in in a married relationship with, 
they they will feel naturally instinctively wanting to honor you back and they want to and and you you know you get in that in a relationship especially a married relationship you get what you put into it if you put and so uh uh you know uh unloving behavior in your marriage guess what you're going to get out of your marriage unloving behavior if you sow discord if you sow uh contention into your marriage guess what you're going to get out of it discord and contention because it's a two-way street and so our relationship with god is the same we're in covenant with god and so just as a, a man is in covenant with his wife or a wife is in covenant with her husband we are in covenant with god as the church we're in covenant with god and yes god loves us first but he expects us to love him as well he god expects obliges oh back to religion god obliges us to love him back he says we are commanded we, we there is compulsory love going on and, and God never commands what's impossible. He never commands us to do something without giving us the grace to do it. But God, nevertheless, even though his grace is the thing that's enabling us to do it, he, he expects us to do it out of our free will. And so, again, you know, this is all lost on, on, on these sorts of takes. Uh, Justin Bieber and all these other people, they don't, they're not interested in love. The question isn't, for these people, does God love you? The question should be, do you love God? That's what, that's the question that I would ask these celebrities who are apparently Christians. I would say, look, you know, yes, God loves you. The, that's not the question. The question is, do you love God back? Are you reciprocating God's love? What does that look like in your life? Because apparently to Jesus, when you love God, you keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So do you love God? You're not living like you love God. You're living like you love your vices. You're living like you love alcohol. You're living like you love drugs. You're living like you love the world. You're living like you love to do whatever your flesh tells you to do. You're living like you love the approval of men. And th this is this is the constant problem with celebrities right? They're interested in, in being celebrities. They're interested in being celebrated. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, who are you being celebrated by? You know, if you're being celebrated by the world, then you're probably not going to be celebrated by God because God and the world do not think alike. God and the world are opposites. They are, they, the world is, is an enemy of God. And that's why the Bible says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And, um, and, and so there's, there's got the, you know, Jesus rejected the kingdoms of the world when the devil offered it to him. He said, no, I'm, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to love God. I'm going to focus on God and the kingdoms of the world are a byproduct of our love for Jesus Christ. It's very difficult to be a celebrity and a Christian. It's, it's, it's very, just as Jesus said, it's very difficult to be a, uh, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I really feel bad for people who are celebrities because they have to live their life in so much compromise. And it's, it's sad. You know, I, 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 we should pray for celebrities. We should pray for, for supposed Christian celebrities. We should, you know, not to say you can't be a celebrity and be a Christian, but it's very difficult because you have to, uh, offend people. And that means you might not get, you know, they might not ask you to do the movie. 
You know, I, I can think of like Jim Caviezel. Like there's no way his career didn't suffer from doing Jesus Christ in the passion of the Christ. There's no way that, that there weren't roles that, that didn't come to him because of his stand, his moral stand. I don't think he does sex scenes. Um, you know, I think he's, he's as a Christian, he, he says, no, I'm not going to do certain things in the film industry. And that affects the celebrity. It really does. And celebrities constantly want to be celebrated. They want the approval of other people. And, you know, the truth is, again, you, you, you can't, you can't love the world and love God at the same time. You can't serve the world and serve God at the same time. You, you can't worship the world and worship God at the same time. Um, and, and Jesus was very clear, you know, what, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? It's just not worth it. Anyway, that's all we're doing. That's all I've got time for. We've probably exceeded our time and, um, you guys are all welcome. Okay. But I think what we're probably at like two over two hours anyway, um, I've had fun. I hope you've had fun and, uh, you know, thank you for watching and we will see you next week on the next episode of the reactionary Christian.